and you're listening to Square One, a podcast where we interview entrepreneurs, investors, and executives at the cutting edge of business. And I'm your host, Ramin Shah. Autonomous vehicles have been all the buzz over the last few years. Not to be outdone, Amazon has quietly been applying the same technology to checkout. In 2018, Amazon announced Go, a grocery store with a frictionless checkout. And since then, Amazon has been building and launching stores across the country. While promising from a technology perspective, retailers have fears of being locked in the Amazon ecosystem. We saw the same net effect play out with Instacart. As Amazon acquired Whole Foods, retailers turned to Instacart to offset Amazon's delivery capabilities. And this is where standard cognition comes into play. Standard cognition enables autonomous checkout for brick and mortar retailers with an AI-powered computer vision platform. With over $100 million raised in the past two years, Standard Cognition is building checkout technology for the retailer of the future. In this episode, I chatted with Jordan Fisher, founder and CEO of Standard Cognition, and we touched on a number of topics, including the future of retail analytics and in-store experience, the challenges of selling technology in a low-margin industry, how this technology differs from Amazon, the implications of autonomous technology for global privacy standards and job creation and destruction, and ancillary possibilities that can be created as a byproduct of the SC technology at scale. Welcome, Jordan. It's a pleasure to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, Jordan. You know, really excited to have you on the show today and, and dive pretty deeply into what you're up to at Standard Cognition, you know, specifically how you're building autonomous checkout on the backs of, you know, close to $100 million that you've raised over the past two years. Let's, let's kick off with what Standard Cognition is and how you founded the company. Sure. So the, the heart of what we're building is, is a technology we call autonomous checkout. Um, although from the consumer perspective, it's, it's perhaps better branded as frictionless checkout. And the, the core idea here really is no one likes to wait in line. <laughs> no one likes to you know, spend five minutes of their day just kind of ambling around waiting to then work for a retailer, perhaps to do self-checkout um, at best, uh, and then you know, fork over some cash at the end of it. It's a really kind of an unpleasant experience that we've all just taken for granted that this is the way the world is. Uh, but our belief is that we can get rid of that, that we can make physical shopping, shopping in the real world, as convenient as we've come to expect it to be online. Uh, you know, really, you should be able to walk into any store in the world, grab what you want, walk out, and not really need to think about that aspect of transacting, of, of waiting in line, of taking out your wallet and forking over cash. Because uh, that's, that's effectively what we've come to expect with the, the online revolution. And so talk about how the experience works, right? You've, you know, you alluded to removing friction from transacting entirely. Kind of walk through, walk us through what happens when you actually go into a store um, and all the way through the full cycle, full life cycle of walking out. Yeah. So there's a, actually, I think this phrase came from a, a fellow at Walmart, uh, but his phrase is check-in is the new checkout. Hmm. And what he, what he meant by that was over time, we're going to eliminate the friction of checkout, and that's that's of course what we're working on. But there's there's certainly been plenty of other attempts at this, you know, throughout the history of of retail, uh, self checkout being just one of them, scan and go being one of them, uh, and now this sort of frictionless experience that we're building, where you really completely remove the notion of checkout. But what happens is you need to replace the checkout with some form of check in, because in order to charge a shopper as they leave the store. You need to know who they are. You need to have their transaction information, uh, at least. So that's that's some form of check-in. You're at the store. You're checking in with the system, saying, "Hey, I'm here." Uh, maybe you don't need to know my name, perhaps, but you need to at least have some, you know, some credit card information, some payment processing information. 
that's that's the check-in process. Uh, and what's what's interesting is that that's actually a new form of friction. And the whole point of this endeavor was let's let's remove friction. Like you 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 know you really want that experience that I was just alluding to earlier, where basically every store in the world becomes your personal pantry. You don't think about them being stores anymore. You walk in, you grab things, you walk out, and that's it. You just want to be able to do that over and over again. You're walking down the streets of New York, San Francisco, wherever it is, you pop in, grab a bottle of water, you pop out, it should take you 10 seconds. But once you remove checkout and replace it with check-in, now you've added back some friction. And there's, there's a lot of ways to do the check-in process, and we're going to see a lot of innovation over the next few years here, because uh, it's going to be one of the last pieces of, of this frictionless experience that people are, are, are working on. So I'll tell you a little bit about some of the, the possibilities, and then I'll tell you about how we're, we're working on this right now. So Amazon, obviously, Amazon Go is, is the, the big elephant in the room here, and they, they launched their frictionless experience a couple years ago, first to market with this, with the Amazon Go experience. They have gates at the front of their store. Uh, and the way you check in is you take out your phone, you open up an app, you get a QR code on your screen, you take that, you show it to the gate, the gate opens, and then you can come into the store. And then after that, you now have a frictionless experience. That's, that's not bad. I mean, it's certainly a drastic improvement over the current state of retail, which is waiting in line for minutes to, to check out. But it still does have that, that aspect of, of friction. Uh, and you know, it seems inconsequential, that couple of seconds that you have to spend but it's actually a big deal when you when you get rid of it. When you go from just a little bit of friction to zero friction, it's it's a it's actually a, a non-trivial <laughs> increase in value because you you start thinking about the experience in a different way. Uh, you no longer have that that barrier uh, in your mind. Like, should I go buy that bottle of water? Um, you would really shouldn't even think about it as something you have to do. You just you just do it. It becomes you know uh, you know you're just completely un- unhampered. So. That's, that's the Amazon Go experience is, is this, this gate technology. And I think it's great. Like, obviously, you have to start somewhere. Check-in is not going to be perfect to start with. Our, our approach was a little bit different, and it was less because of the friction on the shopper that we were looking to optimize and more because of a second dimension, which is actually just as important, which is friction on the retailer. So what Amazon is doing is building stores, uh, their own stores. It's vertical integration. What we're doing is we're making a technology that we can license to retailers to enable their stores to be frictionless. And the big difference here is there's millions of stores in the world today. We want to turn those into these frictionless experiences. Uh, so we have to make them a retrofit. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to come into you know, a retailer with 10,000 stores in their fleet and say, hey, we're going to turn this into frictionless, and they say, great, that's, not, that's what we want. Um, and then we say, but by the way, we're going to have to remodel your entire store and we're going to have to put gates here and here. And it's going to, you know, it's going to be a disaster. If you don't, if you don't think about the format of your store from day zero uh, to have gates, it's, it's, it's not going to turn out great. And of course, it's going to be super expensive. So we wanted a check-in experience that was going to be as good as, as Amazon's and eventually better, hopefully, but also that was very low friction for a retailer because we're coming into their existing stores and we can't just rearrange everything. It's too expensive. So the way our check-in works is you walk into the store and at any time during your shopping trip, doesn't have to be the beginning, you take out your phone, you click check-in on the phone. It shows a unique image on that phone. Our camera system picks it up and can then associate your anonymous person in the store 
with your payment processing information. Uh, and then of course, after that, it's frictionless, shop as you want, leave whenever you want, and then you'll, you'll get your receipt. Uh, so roughly the same amount of friction. It's maybe perhaps just slightly less because you don't have to do it at the beginning of your trip. So you have a little bit more freedom of when you're going to check in. It doesn't quite feel like you're being, you know, cattle herded into these <laughs> giant vending machines is how I refer to Amazon Go. Um, but you know, rough, roughly still the same amount of friction, I would say the big win here is the reduction of friction on the installation process for the retailer, which ultimately is going to be important for the shopper. Uh, cause being able to deploy this rapidly is how we're going to bring this convenience to shoppers. So those are, those are kind of the two things to keep in mind for convenience. It's, it's the, the touch and feel of the experience, of course, but then it's also, can we bring you this experience? Can we bring it next door so that you can actually have this? And, and, and so, what, so are, what, are, what are the what steps, steps, you know, at a high level, level technical, technical evolution, evolution you have to, you go, have to through. go through? Because I imagine, I imagine you're using pieces today that are expensive and required to make the product work, but you have a roadmap to eliminate, you know, to continue to eliminate friction, right? And it, it goes a little bit to kind of the overarching question, which is why the time is now, you know, for this product and, and really what are the biggest challenges with building it, right? There's a lot of nuances you know, to the experience, I'm sure that, you know, certainly I, as a, as a casual entrant of a grocery store, don't appreciate, but are yep. the details of, you know, how do you recognize someone entering a store, right? How do you validate which person purchased which product, et cetera? So walk, walk through kind of the, at a high level, the way you think about that technical evolution that needs to, you know, continue to happen, you know, as you guys refine the product and as you really work to a truly frictionless process. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I, I'd like to, talk uh, to our team here at Standard about something very similar, which is there was this big revolution that happened in retail decades ago, uh, which was based on state-of-the-art physics, which when you, when you say that sentence, it sounds weird, but that's actually what happened, which was there was this invention, uh, which 100 years ago, no one even knew was possible. Even 50 years ago, it was kind of gee whiz stuff, which was lasers. Uh, and we went from this being a hypothetical physics uh, idea to something that was, you know, actually created in the lab to something that was productized and put into, you know, a dumb piece of machinery into every single store in the world in a very short order of time, uh, which is incredible, right? From state of the art, um, potentially impossible physics to this is a dumb enough <laughs> technology that you can literally kick it and it will keep doing its job uh, in the span of decades. So that, that was uh, this, you know, the laser scanning technology that we have now for barcodes. Um, that's an incredible arc from, from science to, to technology to consumerism. Uh, we're doing something really similar right now, which is it's not GWIS physics, but it is, it's AI. It's this new modern era of machine learning that really only got its feet a handful of years ago uh, and is still rapidly iterating, uh, very much on the sort of scientific frontier of what is possible, trying to understand how it works, what is uh, it going to look like in you know, the world of tomorrow. Uh, but also now companies are rapidly productizing. Um, and we haven't seen what all those ramifications are. We haven't seen what all those products are going to be. It's really early days for this machine learning revolution that's happening. Uh, but that's, that's the curve that we're riding. We're taking this state-of-the-art science and turning it into something that has to be dumb enough and simple enough and robust enough that you can put it into the back of a convenience store and you can literally kick it and it'll keep working. So that's, that's the arc that we're on and we are not 
done with that. I definitely do not recommend anybody to kick our machine because <laughs> it will not <laughs> it will not be happy. Um, so we haven't gotten to the end of this. Uh, we're quite a ways away from it. You know, we're still somewhere in the middle of this arc of it's not science anymore, um, but it's not you know robust, resilient engineering either. Um, and that's you know it's it's a fascinating time to be a technologist to be kind of you know, leading the initiative to make that transition. So it's really fascinating because we get to create all these new technologies and discover all these best practices that just don't exist yet. So it's, it's, it's pretty wild west. Um, so that, that's cool. That's fun. And it really ties into what you're, what you're saying, which is, you know, right now this is, it's not necessarily cheap. Um, and we're not solving all the problems yet. You know, my, my philosophy is solve the hard problems first. Uh, so you know, there's a thousand of these problems we have to solve to make a scalable commoditized technology for autonomous checkout for the whole world. Five of those thousand problems are really damn hard. So let's, let's start there. You know, let's do uh, the, the real core pieces to this computer vision challenge. Once we lock that down, we can start working on the, you know, the, the touch and feel, the polish uh, and the unit economics, et cetera, that are going to make this scale to a million stores. Because uh, you can't you can't tackle everything, especially a startup. We don't have the, the capacity. So that's definitely been part of our philosophy: is let's just get these initial uh, deployments working, so that we have a few stores out in the wild where you can really experience it, where we can show both consumers and retailers that this is this is really possible. Um, and then let's work on that unit economic side. Let's work on the remaining pieces of engineering to make this really sync so that we can deploy it to a million stores. Um, but, you know, it's, it's going to be an arc. It's going to be a journey. Jordan, one of the things that I, I really like the way you've described this, you know, previously that I thought was a really interesting analogy, especially for a, for a lay non-technical person like myself, is, is you're, you're basically solving kind of the autonomous cars problem, but you're doing it in an inverted way, right? Talk, talk about that analogy a bit more, because I think there's, there's some interesting nuance. It, it's certainly when I heard you talk about it in that way, helped me also align conceptually, you know, truly with the, the technical challenge that you're solving and, and the, you know, the nuances, quite frankly, of sh- uh, solving for, you know, the, the, the granularity and the details in a shopper experience, you know, versus the, the broad set challenges that you're solving necessarily in self-driving cars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I briefly mentioned earlier that there's this, this, this broader arc of the machine learning revolution that's happening. And, you know, if you, if you, if you really extrapolate what it means for computers to be able to understand the world visually as well as humans, uh, it's kind of crazy. Like you would expect a million industries to be disrupted and revolutionized and enhanced. Uh, but so far, we've really only had one major industry that seems to gather all of the all the all the media attention uh, and funding, which is actually uh, good for us. Uh, and that's that's the autonomous vehicle industry. So I like to I like to talk about it and compare it to it because it's it's got so much of the limelight. It's such an easy comparison. I think people already spent a lot of time thinking about it, um, but it's also a really apt comparison too in a lot of ways. Uh, so it's you know it's it's a physical world product. It has to be something that lives and breathes and works uh, in reality. Um, you know it's it's predominantly vision based. There could be other sensors, uh, but vision is a is a major component of it, and it has to understand people. Um, it's not just sensing, it has to comprehend, uh, you know, in the case of cars, it's people driving and people walking and bicycling. And it's not just enough to know, Hey, there's a person here. You need to know intent. You need to know this person's crossing the road. They're about to jump 
off this curb. Uh, maybe you should slow down. It's a really fine grained understanding of, of human under behavior. That's super fascinating. Um, we're doing it in a, in a store, a convenience store, a grocery store, whatever it ends up being. Um, and we actually have to go a little bit more granular, I would say. So, of course, we need to know, hey, there's a person here. Hey, they're shopping. Um, but it's not enough just to say they're grabbing something. It's they're grabbing, you know, the 17.2 gram uh, packaging of Skittles. Uh, I hope that we can use some, a brand and you don't have to bleep that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's actually, it's actually in some ways even more precise that we have to be. So that's, that makes the problem a little bit more challenging, uh, but it's also a more forgiving problem in some ways because if we make a mistake, then that shopper gets Skittles for free uh, and nobody, nobody dies. Uh, there's no accident. So there is some tolerance here and that tolerance is actually already baked into retail and it's called loss. Uh, so, you know, there's a few percentage points um, of the top line revenue of a, of a retailer that's lost for various reasons, from theft, from mistakes, stocking mistakes, uh, POS mistakes, et cetera. So there's, there's a lot of ways that loss happens, but what's nice for us, not nice for a retailer, uh, is that that gives us a little bit of cushion. There's already a, a bit of an expectation that some things go wrong, that's okay, it's not gonna, it's not gonna kill us. Um, it will impact our bottom line, so let's work to remove it, but we can still launch today. Whereas autonomous vehicles, you know, they're years ahead of us actually. Um, but they have to rise to such a high bar that they can't deploy yet. Whereas we're a much younger industry, not just our company, but autonomous checkout in general is a much younger industry. Uh, we haven't reached the same level of sophistication as the Waymos and Cruises of the world, um, but we're, we're closer to productizing. You know, we, we already have autonomous stores out in the wild. Uh, people are deploying more, we're gearing up to deploy more. Uh, and it's, it's not because the technology is more mature, it's because the problem space is more forgiving. Um, and I think that's the real reason actually that over the next five years, when people think about, you know, the first computer vision application that revolutionized the world, it's, it's going to be checkout. That's going to be the first thing that your grandma experiences that the whole world experiences. It's not going to be self-driving cars. It's going to be a frictionless checkout experience. That's an interesting framing because you do, you know, on, on one hand, you certainly have a, have a lower bar from the perspective of, um, you know, as you alluded to, right, if there's uh, from two perspectives, right, one is in the business model itself, you've got loss, et cetera, that's baked in. And then obviously, if, you know, someone takes, a, you know, a bag of Skittles, nobody's dying. The, on the other hand, you, you know, you do have you, you do have a high bar, um, which is, you know, how you think about privacy and your responsibility to privacy. And, and you have a vision-based product, but you've, you know, you've said um, numerous times, you know, you don't do facial recognition. Um, you guys have that on your site, that that's a core, you know, value and philosophy, you know, of the company. I, I think that's actually really interesting, right? And it's a, especially an interesting thought experiment as you go global. You know, Europe is going to be extremely privacy conscious, you know, whereas other jurisdictions, you know, might actually flip all the way to the other bar of the spectrum and actually require you to do, you know, privacy tracking. How... How have you balanced, you know, that consumer care uh, and, and consumer sentiment thought process, you know, versus just your overall philosophy on the product build? Yeah, yeah another great question. So I, I, I take privacy pretty seriously. The whole company obviously takes privacy pretty seriously. And I, I think the importance of it isn't today so much as tomorrow. And, you know, of course, we're, we're positioning ourselves and gearing up to be the way people check out across the world. That's, that's our, our goal. We want to be everywhere. It's 
it's the new it's the new credit card essentially right you have our app in your pocket you walk in you walk out anywhere you want in the entire world that's that's the goal of course we're years away from that but we're positioning ourselves to be that player uh and ultimately that the industry is going to provide that whether it ends up being standard that does this everywhere or a conglomerate of you know lots of players it's it's gonna it's gonna be everywhere and what's terrifying about that <laughs> to you know cut to the chase uh is that means there's going to be smart intelligent computer vision systems basically in every public space across the entire world let's say conservatively in the next 20 years but honestly maybe in 10 to 15 years uh we'll, we're gonna have real deep broad penetration everywhere that's that's a really terrifying thought um and of course it's it's a it's a potentially enabling thought too right i mean sure you get frictionless checkout that's amazing right like i'm going to save five minutes a day from, from checking out if you add that up across the world you're talking about billions of hours of humanity saved every year and that's just the beginning you know there's there's dozens hundreds of, of applications that we're going to build on top of this platform that's going to make all of our lives better um so the huge opportunity and we will we will unlock those opportunities. There's no doubt, right? Like that's that's the engine of capitalism. We're gonna we're gonna unlock those opportunities no matter what. Uh, but this this flip side uh, is that there's there's a risk associated with this. Uh, if you have these intelligent cameras everywhere, suddenly you have the potential for this panopticon. You know, if you aggregate all this information together, if it's running facial recognition, if it's able to track you across the entire world. Suddenly we know where the majority of citizens are globally. Uh, we know what they're doing, where they're standing, who they're interacting with, what they're grabbing, everything, right? It's, it's, you know, it's like a dystopian dream. Maybe I'm <laughs> going too, too heavy on this because I don't want to scare people. Um, but no, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fair implication, right? I mean, I think, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later in the conversation, right? Just to, just to interject, but the, the interesting thing you know, when I think about this, I kind of think about it at three levels, which is what you guys are solving for in-store, right? The actual in-store experience, what you're solving for, you know, at above store, right? Which is kind of the aggregate experience for an individual retailer. And then what you're solving for at an even higher level, which is, you know, the proprietary insights candidly and the data that you guys will collect across retailers and, and for the industry. And then actually there's probably one, one level even higher than that which is what are the implications just of the data that you're collecting at that aggregate scale, not just for the industry and its you know, benefits or adjustments, et cetera, but just in terms of the overall implications of having that much data of location-based, specifically you know, activity behavior-based you know, in real time at any point in time. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, the ramifications are, are, are hard to think through because there, there are so many different levels, as you said. So our, our, our philosophy is, you know, this is, this is going to happen. There's going to be cameras. They're going to be smart. They're going to be everywhere. So let's, let's be a good citizen. Let's, let's not just win this industry. Let's win it in a way that uh, is, is safe, uh, you know, privacy forward, and is protecting shoppers and citizens across the world. Let's, let's do this the right way. And let's make sure that we're ahead of the regulation. Because ultimately, it, you know, maybe it takes 10, 20, 30 years for regulation to catch up to make sure that this industry is is safe or honestly worst case let's let's be even more honest here uh you know uh nation states uh don't have a great record of of protecting privacy uh because it's 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 in their interest to be able to tap into these these engines and pull out their data uh to do their own analyses 
you know, often for good reasons, um, but the potential for abuse is, is so high that you, you don't necessarily want that. Uh, so our, our, our philosophy is, look, let's just build this day zero in such a way that it couldn't possibly be corrupted. So if somebody hacks into our system or, you know, if we get a request from, you know, not to sound paranoid, but let's say you get a request from uh, an intelligence agency, et cetera, um, there's just nothing there to grab. There's, there's no PII, there's no, there's no facial biometrics. We're not just tracking people passively everywhere that they go. Uh, so there's no potential for abuse. It's not like we're being good citizens and we're abstaining from abusing it. Um, you don't have to trust that we don't like fall into the wrong hands or that, you know, I die one day and there's a new CEO and he's a real jackass. <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to worry about that. It's, it's rather let's build the technology from day zero from ground up in such a way that you cannot abuse it. It doesn't matter who's owning it or charging. That's, that's the goal. Um, so because of that, we, we thought about how we were implementing this. How can we do this in such a way that we didn't need uh, facial recognition, we didn't need these, these biometrics. And it's really been uh, an assumption that we've had to work with for every part of the, the computer vision system. I'm largely, largely successful. It turns out that we, we can do this without needing uh, those, those biometrics, which is great. because Now we can kind of have our cake and eat it too. Let's talk about let's talk about day zero. And actually, you know, I, I like the way that you you framed it in terms of building completely from the ground up. Um, and I want to I want to juxtapose that against uh, you know the, the the massive white elephant in the room and the and the large company that you're competing with that you know treats everything like it's day one, uh, which is Amazon, right? Talk a little bit more about what's going on with Amazon Go. You know, on the one hand, you can certainly take the position that you know, Amazon in your space is terrible, right? They've got unlimited resources, maniacal execution, you know, which by the way, wasn't too dissimilar reaction for, for Instacart and, and kind of shopping delivery space when, you know, Amazon bought Whole Foods. On, on the other hand, and I think if you carry that, you know, Instacart story forward, you can take the opposite position, which is actually candidly, it's probably the best thing that could have ever happened to you, right? In the Instacart example, there was a way more attention into the space and candidly, they signed up virtually every other retailer's partners because folks were freaked out about a dystopian future in which you know Amazon completely ransacks everybody else. Talk, talk a little bit more about kind of the dynamic of Amazon Go and and give a little bit of you know insight into you know what it means for the space and, and what it means for you guys. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's really everything that that you just just mentioned, which is Amazon's only been great for the industry, um, for our competitors, for us. Uh, you know, they really they created the industry. Uh, we would have done this regardless. So we actually started Standard uh, just a little bit shy of when Amazon publicly announced that they were working on Go. So, you know, we would have been working on this anyway. If you look at our competitors in the space, they're all roughly the same age as us, some, some a little bit older. So, of course, they were already working on this as well. So Amazon didn't inspire the idea. It was really a zeitgeist. You know, there's just something something in the air everyone kind of saw it at the same time like oh this is this is the moment the technology is is ready let's 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 do this but amazon definitely poured fuel onto the fire <laughs> and uh you know it's 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 it was everywhere and and from very early on we wouldn't we wouldn't have been able to raise as easily as we did um i think a lot of the business development that we've done wouldn't have been as easy uh, if it hadn't been for for Amazon, uh, and and you know strategically, I, I I definitely question uh, 
the way that they rolled out, you know, and why, why it happened the way that they did. Um, you know, if I had been Bezos or uh, if I was running Go, I would, have, I would have sat on this and waited until we had a much wider deployment before we announced this to the world. I would have thought that they would have just one day popped up and said, guys, we have 500 Amazon Go stores and taken yeah. all the oxygen out of the room. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, that's, that would have been the play. Um, I'm not sure why that didn't happen. You know, I, I think some of it may have just been overconfidence. Uh, you know, they had, they had worked on this project somewhere between like five, six or seven years, something, something crazy. Um, and it was really hard. <laughs> it was, it's a really hard project. And if you go back in time uh, to when they started working on this, it was even harder. And I, I think perhaps there was one of the missteps was just uh, a little bit of overconfidence in their abilities to do this compared to a small startup because it was so hard for them. And they didn't expect people to, to catch up so quickly. Um, maybe, maybe. I, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm glad <laughs> that they misstepped. <laughs> because ultimately what happened was uh, they, they poured fuel in the fire, as, as I was saying. So it's, it's everything that you see in these sort of Amazon versus the world spaces, which is, you know, it's Amazon is, is massive. They, they compete with everyone, every retailer. Um, and all the other, other, all the other retailers have to stay competitive. You know, if, if Amazon's coming and providing this amazing new experience and are leveraging it to enter into the physical world, to take over the other 90% of retail that they don't have a foothold into, that's a, that's a scary thought. Uh, you know, no one wants the Amazon <laughs> monarchy that, you know, rules the entire world. So we enter in and we say, look, we'll give you the same thing that Amazon has. We'll remove that competitive advantage. Let's, let's make your stores as good or better than an Amazon store. Uh, let's give that experience to your shoppers. Uh, and let's just democratize this technology but so that everyone has it. Let's level the playing field. Uh, and and it's, that's been a, a huge success for us in terms of you know, building and, and selling this technology. People are really receptive to that. They, they see uh, the Amazon threat coming. And they also see the opportunity to, to deliver a better experience to their, to their shoppers. So it's, it's, it's honestly only been good for us to have Amazon in the sphere. So you've got a model standard store in, in San Francisco. You talked about a little bit earlier that the desire is not, you know, it's not to go the Amazon route, right? Which is to open up your own stores. And then, you know, obviously you have the data so that can lead to your own product lines, et cetera. But rather it's to really kind of, and, and you tell me if this analogy is right. It, it almost feels like you're you're kind of sitting at the operating system layer, right? You become kind of the technology that empowers, you know, any type of retailer for this specific experience. What what have been the reactions, you know, to your store in San Francisco, and, and what have been the most interesting learnings? Yeah, uh, you know, I think the most interesting thing for me is <laughs> how hard it is to to run a retail store. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not just run it, but get it off the ground. Uh, so, you know, of course, <laughs> even going into opening standard store, we, we knew we didn't want to be a retailer, but, you know, going through the process just, you know, reaffirmed every one of those, those, those thoughts, you know, it's running a store, running a major retail chain, uh, it's really hard. Uh, you know, these, these companies, these, these retailers, these, you know, whether they're small mom and pops or, you know, mega retailers with, you know, 10,000 stores, they're, they're doing something really impressive and really hard. The, the logistics, the operations, the consumer 
uh, relationship and understanding what people want to buy and giving that to them and making sure they can get it conveniently and at a great price. These are incredibly challenging things. Um, you know, we're, you know, me especially, but I think a lot of us, you know, in this, in this world, you know, we come from this tech perspective of no, no, no. What's hard is building a search engine. What's hard is building a, you know, an autonomous vehicle, et cetera. That's, that's really my opinion. What, what's hard is all sorts of things and building these amazing engines of retail are in, incredibly difficult. We, we knew that, but then we really learned it opening our store. And it's, it's been hard, I'll, I'll be honest. You know, what, we don't even know what to sell <laughs> to our store. People mostly come because they want to experience the technology. They're not coming because it's a good retail experience. Um, so that, that's been really illuminating and also re- reaffirming, right? Like it's, it's not our core competency. We're, we're not a retailer. We don't have it in our DNA. Uh, we want to partner with these amazing retailers and make them better. We want to make the experience better because we, we build the search engine. We build the autonomous vehicle. We build the, the frictionless checkout. Let's let the retailers do what they're good at, which is build these great stores, these great experiences. Let's just make that better. Uh, and, and I think that that really is the, the right path to success. I, I think we'll, we'll see that with Amazon. I, I don't think they're going to be able to scale out the, the Go system or the Go store uh, to the same extent that we'll be able to scale out our technology. So let's talk about that a little bit more um, on, on, from an experience perspective, right? And what you think the future experience, you know, in these stores look like. I, you know, I couldn't agree with you more uh, with respect to the challenges of, of running a retailer. I, in a former life, when I was at McKinsey, I, I worked on an engagement with a large grocer and we were actually trying to help them build a store of the future, evaluating self-checkout, center store experience, everything. And you, you really only, I mean, grocery is interesting, right? Because we all have the day-to-day experience with it, obviously, to live and subsist. But you don't really actually intuit how challenging of a business it is un- until you're actually think, you're, you're analyzing it, evaluating it from, from a pure play business perspective. I think a lot of you know, where you're moving towards, Jordan, with, with standard cognition is it's also not just about cost cutting, right? That's that, that was a lot of the conversation in retail and for grocery because it's a notoriously low margin business, you know, four or five years ago. But a, a lot of the tide has changed in terms of talking about experience, right? And I think, you know, our Amazon discussion is interesting because it's kind, Amazon is kind of that next, you know, retailers kind of get the knob that, that they think pretty incrementally. But Amazon, whether you like it or not, is a bit of a, a forcing function for taking a big leap forward. How, how do you, from an overarching perspective, think about the future of experience you know, for stores and, and really what you're enabling uh, towards that future experience? Yeah. So physical retail right now is still you know, the lion's share of, of the retail market. It's, it's a $25 trillion market, maybe a little bit more at this point, and 90% of that is, is physical. It's in stores. That's, that's just the way the world works. Like it's, it's a physical world and as, as amazing as e-commerce has been and as fast as it's, it's grown, shopping happens in the real world. That's just, that's, that's where it is. But because of that, there's this huge opportunity to enhance the experience. Let's, let's bring new technology to physical retail and let's, let's make it better. Cause that's, that's where people are shopping. Why don't we focus, focus there? And it's, I think it's, it's been under invested for a long time. But it's, it's not just frictionless checkout that's coming. There's, there's been a ton of, of interesting technology coming to physical retail. And I think retailers are actually quite hungry for it now. They've, they've really woken up and, and realized that they have to stay competitive on every dimension. 
And of course, they've always cared about convenience. It's one of the most important dimensions of a, of a retail product. Um, but they're realizing now that the, the technology piece is, is just as important, right? You know, what does is, what is your app look like? What does your omni-channel experience look like? Um, and sure, what does your delivery look like? How does this all, how does this all tie together? Frictionless is going to be a really important piece in that overarching strategy of, of enhancing and making a great uh, retail experience. I, I think one, one piece for me that's actually kind of exciting is, is the real long game, which is what is, what is the ultimate form of convenience? And as we, as we unlock this, as we say, look, you can just walk in, grab something, walk out, great. That's, that's the convenience that we're delivering now and we'll be delivering over the next couple of years. But there's another level of convenience that you get a little bit later, which is how close is that store to you? Right now, retailers are limited as to where and how many stores they can open because you have to run checkout. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big piece of, uh, of cost to be running your checkout. So sure, we'd love to have twice as many stores open, uh, but can we afford to man twice as many stores? Uh, looks like no, like, looks like we've leveled off, right? Um, in fact, a lot of retailers do want to open more stores, but, but can't because of this. Um, but what's interesting is once you remove some of those costs of business, you have the opportunity to have more locations. Uh, and suddenly the convenience to the shopper is not just, oh, once I'm at your store, I walk in, grab something, walk out. Now the convenience is, and by the way, it's, it's right next door. Um, so I, I, I walk outside, I cross the street, I'm inside, I have a bottle of water, and then I'm back at my desk two minutes later. That's, that's this real ultimate convenience where suddenly, you know, as, as I like to say, stores become your, your personal pantry and they have to be as close as your personal pantry for that really to, to make sense. So that's, that's kind of the, the long game for me that I'm, I'm super excited about is it's, it's this massive sort of micro distribution of, of stores throughout our, our cities um, to give that, that ultimate convenience. Because there's, there's no way that shopping online could ever have that same amount of convenience. You know, if I get the bottle of water the next day, it doesn't really help me. <laughs> Even if it's same day delivery and it takes two hours for me to get this bottle of water, it's, that, that's not convenient. The only thing that was convenient about that was being able to click a button on my computer. Uh, but the waiting, that's, that's not convenience. So that's actually what I was going to ask you, which is, you know, the more you describe it, the more I think about, you know, and I'll use Instacart as an example, but really more so as a microcosm for, you know, the, the overarching piece that they're solving for is, do you think that the visions are mutually exclusive or how does, you know, does the future of the world move more towards, you know, everybody getting groceries delivered, right? You're never in stores, you know, let's say, you know, let's, let's paint a uh, it's well, actually you're, you're the technologist, but it's probably not as distant of a future of, you know, drones delivering kind of on time on demand. Right. So let's, let's take one extreme, right. Which is a world moves, you know, towards you can, you know, click on your phone, whatever it is. Right. And you can get groceries delivered to you pretty instantaneously, you know, wherever you are, or, you know, does it become people walking in to these stores? And I, I like the, the way you framed it, which is starting to treat the grocery store more as your personal pantry. Right. And so it's more of a vision of the world in which people are walking in, you know, having on demand checkout. I imagine there's different types of considerations, obviously, behaviorally by culture of city, by you know, density, right, versus suburbs, et cetera. They're, they're certainly not mutually exclusive. 
but it does feel like in some sense the visions conflict a little bit. Talk, talk a little bit more about kind of the way you see the future of the world, uh, you know, which might be when juxtaposed upon a delivery service, you know, might be a little bit different. Yeah. So I, I don't think that one or the other is going to win. You know, I, I think ultimately there's, there's going to be situations where delivery is great, um, situations where it's, it's really better to get that bottle of water in two minutes rather than, than two hours. Uh, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to herald the end of, of e-commerce. <laughs> um, you know, I, I order stuff online all the time. I, I, I definitely like that experience, especially for certain types of, of items. But it's, it's items that I can wait for, and it's items that I definitely know exactly what I want. Uh, so that's, that's a very particular type of shopping, which it's, it's non-trivial, right? 10% of retail happens this way. So it's, it's clearly non-trivial. Um, it's, it's important. Groceries sometimes will fall into that category and sometimes won't. Sometimes I know exactly what I want. Uh, you know, it's my weekly shopping list maybe. Uh, but sometimes I want to browse. I want to see, you know, what's there. I want to, you know, get inspired by, by the store and what they have available. Um, or sometimes I need something much faster. So I, I think there's going to be a mix. You know, ultimately the consumer wins here. The shopper wins because they have more options at their disposal. Uh, you know, anything that suits them at that exact need, uh, that's what they're going to have. So I do think that e-commerce will keep growing. I don't think it's ever going to be, you know, the majority of, of where shopping happens, but I do think it has some room to grow still. Um, but I, I think physical retail has a lot of room to grow as well, especially as it becomes even more convenient. So for me, it's not an either or. It's really, let's just give shoppers the best possible experience always. Um, no matter what the use case is. Uh, sometimes they'll be shopping online and, you know, figuring out these last mile delivery logistics, which is a really damn hard problem. <laughs> um, and by the way, that, that problem in an interesting way uh, gets easier as frictionless takes off. So that, that end game that I was talking about where it's so cheap to run stores, so why, why not just have them everywhere? That is your last mile delivery depot. If you have 10 times as many stores and they're everywhere, they're every city block, they're just, they're all over the place. It becomes a lot easier to have last mile delivery. It's actually like last block delivery at that point. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I think these technologies are, are synergistic in a lot of ways. They're going to, they're going to play off of each other. They're going to help each other. Um, and ultimately it's, it's the shop that's going to win. Let's talk about, let's talk about jobs, right? Um, and how you philosophically think about, you know, what standard cognition does, you know, for the retail industry, you know, on, on one hand, uh, and this is a prevalent conversation, you know, we see it in the political conversations today, we, we see it, you know, quite, quite prevalent, which is, you know, on, on one hand, one, one side of the argument is, you could be facing serious backlash, right? You're, you know, you're, you're just another kind of line of, you're in line with you know, a host of other Silicon Valley companies, you know, that are eliminating jobs in mass, right? That's, that's one argument. On the other hand of the spectrum, you know, you're generating significant savings for stores and, and you can actually make the argument that you're using resources. And, and I've seen this, you know, having worked on a, on a grocery store engagement, which is you can actually start to use the resource or you can repurpose the resources in a, in a way which dramatically improves the overall shopper experience. And it's, it's kind of the Mark Andreessen argument. You know, when, when Mark talks about healthcare, he'll, he'll say, you know, you can either have a cheaper healthcare experience, you know, or you can have more people employed by healthcare, right? And healthcare kind of take over the economy. And it's, it's kind of one or the other. One of, one of the interesting thought experiments I, I think a lot about, you know, with, the, with a company like yours is, is just the billions of hours. And it's literally at that scale, right? The billions of hours that can get redeployed 
you know, across humanity um, and what the implications are for society, we all took out us standing in lines, right? Um, there's an interesting economic concept on that point, you know, it's called monetary velocity, right? Uh, you were alluding to it earlier, right? Which is if I can kind of get in, get out, you know, it changes the amount of money potential you spend in the store, right? It, it changes, you know, product distribution, supply chains, right? It, it can have significant effects. It, it's a very big loaded question, but how do you think about kind of this, the jobs argument, um, you know, as, as it's specific to what you guys are up to? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, ultimately, I think there will be different types of shifts that, that happen and, it's going to be different depending on the phase of the industry. And to start with, it's actually going to be more jobs. Um, so, you know, certainly we're employing more people today. Um, so is Amazon, actually. Actually, what's really interesting is um, not just the, the technology, not just the, you know, the software developers, et cetera. Of course, there's jobs there. But even if you go into an Amazon Go store, it's packed with, with employees. Uh, they really want to give the best possible experience to their, to their shopper. Uh, so none of those employees are doing checkout. All those employees are doing customer service. Uh, so it's, it's a really fascinating flip. Uh, you know, suddenly you unlock all of this potential. Every, every free person you have in that store is there to help somebody. And there's no longer this question of, oh, can I, can I bother you? Are you? Are you just here to take money? Or are you here to help? You know, it's, you've removed the notion of transaction. And you've suddenly made it very clear if there is an employee standing, you can just go talk to them. And they're there to help you 100%. There's, there's nothing else there. There's no transactional aspect to that relationship, um, which for me is actually is a really, it's a really nice feel. Uh, and I, I like to compare it to the, the Ubers and Lyfts of the world compared to taxis where, you know, when you take a taxi, you pay at the end. And that, that really colors your interaction with the driver. It's, it's transactional. When you're in an Uber or in a Lyft, of course, it is transactional. You are paying that person, but you never take your wallet out. You never hand them a 20. You never swipe your card and sign. It, you've removed all of that. And because of that, there's no longer that, that feel of transacting. And your relationship with the driver is, is just a human relationship. And sure, some people don't like talking to people. Some people do like talking to people, but that's, that's your human relationship, you know, do, do with it as you will. Uh, that's, that's what I think we'll be seeing in these frictionless stores. There is going to be employees. Um, you know, we're not automating stores completely. We're automating checkout. Uh, but of course you still need people. You have to stock the shelves and you have to help your, your shoppers. So there is still going to be people in these stores. They're not fully autonomous stores. And the people that are in the stores suddenly become a lot more unencumbered and they're really just there to, to help. So I, I think that's fascinating. And it, it will be, I think, to start with more of a refocusing of, of effort. Uh, and certainly it's what we're seeing with Go. Our store, of course, uh, has employees. Um, so that's, that's, I think, the major focus that we're going to see over the first few years. I also think though it's, it's important, not just for us, uh, not just for our industry, but for the greater industry of, of automation to, to be frank about what will happen probably later. You know, and maybe it's 10 years later um, or 20 years later for autonomous cars. Um, but I think it's important to also be frank and say, look, we don't know exactly how this is going to play out. We are shifting a major industry. There are millions and millions of people employed in retail. There's millions of people employed in trucking, driving. Let's, let's be honest here, 
there is going to be some shift. Something's going to change. Uh, and we can't predict where it is uh, in time. You know, maybe it's five years, maybe it's 10 years, but there is going to be something. And we should be honest that the, the nature of the industry will change. The jobs will probably change too. Um, it's really easy to forget about that because, you know, unemployment's so low right now. Uh, it's easy to say that's doomsaying. Um, but it's, it's not. Something's going to change. And I, I think it's important as a company to be honest about that uh, and as an industry too. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we do know that we are going to have an impact. Uh, and as, as we get closer to that, I think it's, it's our responsibility and everyone's responsibility in the industry uh, to just continually be frank about it uh, and to be open to, to help you know, whatever, whatever it is that we can do. Uh, and then, you know, that might be giving back. It might be setting aside some of our, our revenue uh, to, you know, help with uh, training and boot camps so that people that are looking for new jobs can get the skills that they need to find those jobs. Um, could be scholarships, et cetera. You know, I, I think there's going to be really interesting ways that we can get more involved to make sure that we're, we're helping. Um, but the most important thing I think is, is, is just being frank that, Hey, this is, this is going to be a big change. So let's, let's all just have a conversation about it. Let's keep having a conversation about it. Uh, so that as we start seeing some of the impacts, we're ready to, to act uh, and, and make the best of it. Yeah, I think that intellectual honesty is actually really important because I, I think too often, especially in the, in the Silicon Valley and, and kind of tech bubbles, the, the conversation becomes very black and white, right? It either becomes, you know, you take the stark kind of dystopian future, um, which is, you know, obviously by, by definition less frequent in, in Silicon Valley, or you take the opposite side of the coin, which is, you know, by definition, disruption, you know, technological innovation always creates more new jobs. Um, and so, you know, the, the argument that, you know, folks are going to lose jobs, et cetera, is, is missed. You know, that, that argument is misplaced. And I, I think that often glosses over the reality of the details, which is it's not that en masse you know, technology will create more jobs, but it's also that, you know, we're going through, um, you know, we're going through a wave that's faster than ever before in human history. And so to gloss over the fact that there'll be significant displacement, right? Um, even if there will be, you know, new jobs in mass and, and to your point, Jordan, you know, ensuring that folks are skilled, you know, are placed adequately, et cetera, is, is a big piece of the, the conversation that I think is often missed. I, I want to round out the conversation by talking about some of the ancillary possibilities um, and some of the kind of the big kind of moonshot um, interesting things that, again, you, you, you don't think about kind of on the surface level, but you guys can, you know, really enforce. One, one example you've talked about in the past um, is if a consumer was holding a product with, you know, lactose and you knew they were lactose intolerant, you could flag it and recommend, you know, alternative products. What are, what are the most non-obvious things um, obviously that, you know, you feel comfortable sharing <laughs> that you're excited about, you know, as, as the business scales and, and just some of the pieces that I think, again, you know, as a, as a lay person going through a shopping experience, you make a, you make hundreds of micro decisions that you're, you really are not even conscious about. But when you're looking at the problem from the granularity and the depth, you know, that you guys are all looking from and, and building for, I'm sure there's some interesting, you know, ideas that are thrown up on a whiteboard in the office. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, the problem is that there's too many ideas <laughs> um, and not just, not just from us, you know, of course we have a million ideas, uh, ways to enhance the product, enhance the shopping experience. Uh, but retailers too, you know, they, they come to us with ideas all the time. Like, Oh, if you can do this, then that must mean you can do, you know, this, this, this. like, yeah, actually that's a, that's a good insight. We can totally do that. Um, but give us 
five years because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know this is this is really hard. Let's let let's stay focused a bit and let's let's get the golden goose, which is checkout, um, and then then we're gonna go on and, and build all these other great things for you. So like you know let's 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 find ways to help you with with loss prevention and getting deeper insights into your stores. And and by the way, let's let's do this in a really uh, you know privacy forward way. Uh, in an equitable way so that we're not, you know, we're not introducing more bias into your system, which I think is actually, you know, really important. When people talk about using computer vision for loss prevention, for instance, you know, I think people's heads immediately go to some dystopian, you know, idea of, oh, we're going to, why don't we train these computers to detect what a shoplifter looks like? Um, and then we'll just essentially be doing racial profiling, but, you know, in an automated fashion. Uh, and you can kind of wipe your hands clean of it because it's just a machine that's doing it. Uh, and that, that is actually a totally valid fear. Uh, you know, if, if you just give data to a machine and ask it to learn, it will learn some bad stuff, especially if there's human biases in the data. Uh, and this happens all over the place. It's not just, it's not just retail. Uh, there's a, a famous example where uh, they were trying to predict the outcome of court cases. Uh, and they trained a machine learning model to, to do this, and it actually ended up being quite accurate. But when they dug deeper into what the model was really doing, it was just looking to see if the defendant was black. Um, and of course, there's a ton of human bias in the court system uh, that predisposes the court to, to find that, that defendant guilty. And that was essentially all the machine learning model was, was picking up. So it's, it's not that the model was accurate in knowing if someone was guilty. It was accurate in knowing what the court was going to do. Uh, and that's that's terrifying. We should all be very terrified of all these types of things. <laughs> so, but but there's also a real opportunity if you build the system correctly to do better than humans because humans are innately biased. So when you when you train these these machine learning systems, when you build them, training is sort of the nomenclature. Uh, if you're careful, you can do it in a way where that's that's impossible. Uh, so for our system, for example, we don't look at Faces. Uh, we don't do facial uh, biometrics or recognition, uh, but we also don't look at all at the color of, of somebody's skin uh, or the shape of the person or the way that they're dressed. Uh, none of these things factor into the way that the system works. In fact, it's the exact opposite. When we're building the system and training it, we show it a huge variety of what people can look like, and we make sure that they think all of those things are the same. These are just people. It's just shoppers and it doesn't matter if you're wearing a hoodie or if you're wearing a nice coat jacket uh, you're a person you're a shopper the system will respond in exactly the same way uh, now we're doing that for the core checkout experience because it doesn't matter what you look like or how you dress you should just get your receipt just the same as anyone else uh, but that that's the same way that a loss prevention system should work too it doesn't matter what you look like it doesn't matter uh, how you're dressed, if you're doing something wrong, if you're breaking the law, that's when the store should be notified. Uh, and of course, that's not the way that loss prevention works today. Uh, you know, loss prevention is done by people and people are, are biased. It doesn't matter how, how unbiased you think you are, how much training you give somebody, they're going to they're gonna almost surely be doing a little bit and sometimes a lot of racial profiling. Uh, so that's something I'm actually quite excited about is, is delivering a loss prevention system uh, to stores that's truly impartial. Uh, 
because humans humans aren't good at this. Um, but you know, again, this is this is a couple years further out. Um, that, that's 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 hard to quantify. Right? Like that that touch and feel of that experience. A lot of people aren't going to see anything different. But that's because a lot of people aren't aren't profiled against. Um, and then you know, there's a ton of other really interesting things. I'll, I'll touch on some lighter lighter topics. For me, I'm all about efficiency. <laughs> I hate obviously I hate waiting in line, um, but I just, I just want the quickest experience possible. There's this holy grail in retail, which is indoor positioning. If I know exactly where a shopper is standing and I know exactly where all my items in my store are, I can just show you a map and I can say, hey, you're trying to get these three items. Here's the quickest route through our store. Uh, it's going to save you three minutes. Uh, and then, you, by the way, you don't have to check out at the end. Uh, that's, that's an amazing experience for me. Uh, I hate having to ask people where something is in the store. Uh, that, that's a really cool experience. And it's unlocked because of one small piece of this bigger puzzle that we have to put together uh, for checkout, which is in-store positioning. So we already have this. We have this ability to know really down to the centimeter where people are standing inside the store, which is itself a really awesome technology. Uh, and then we can leverage that and say, okay, well, you know, it's essentially Google Maps for the inside of your store. Here's, here's how to get to all the items that you care about uh, in the fastest way possible. That's, that's to me, a real awesome uh, enhancement of the, of the shopping experience. That, that's going to be interesting. I, I, my head is, as you started saying, that was going to almost a ways for you know, Google Maps in-store already, which shows you kind of the perfect traffic pattern, not only the, the kind of the dynamic, uh, you know, the placement itself, right? You can kind of think about it in two levels the actual placement of where you put all the products, but then in real time based on, you know, who else is in the store, let's say there's crowding around, you know, folks getting milk, right. Or whatever it is, you walk in the store, you've got your list of items and you have a dynamic real time map, you know, what makes sense in terms of where to go. Um, Jordan, this has been a super interesting conversation. I'm, I'm really glad you were able to make the time, you know, thanks again for joining us. Really excited to, to watch from the sidelines, um, you know, as you guys continue to, to bring the world towards, more autonomous checkout. Really enjoyed having you on today. Thanks so much. It's been great.